Please turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Two ways to live. There are two ways to live. Friends, what we will see here today is that there are only two distinct possibilities for us to live this life. In Christ or out of Christ. And what we believe about Christ will show itself in the fruit that we bear. Here we are looking at today at the climax of Christ's sermon. And the one issue that Jesus tackles is whether you are part of the kingdom of God. And even in verse 39, we see Jesus is warning his disciples, instructing his disciples that they ought to watch who they are to follow. He says in verse 39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? If you have no spiritual sight and you're following someone who has not known spiritual things, you are both headed for great peril. We saw that even through the preaching in 1 Corinthians, that a spiritual man has the desire to please God and to build one another up. He submits to the Lordship of Christ, someone who is born of the Holy Spirit and is bearing the fruit in keeping with his profession. So look with me to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 onwards, as we hear the living and abiding word of God. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who, who built a house on a ground without foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let me pray. Not to us, God, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Father, we pray that even as we hear your word preached, we pray that, Lord, that we would have the ears to hear and live in a manner that is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Father, as we walk in obedience like this, may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two ways to live. And related to that today, we will be looking at the foundation or the stability of a person who is led by the Spirit, who has Jesus as his Lord. In this image, in the text that we see, Jesus makes this connection between the fruit of our lives and our obedience, what our lives look like and our future consequences. When Jesus talked about here, about building a house without a foundation, the crowd would have immediately recognized and identified with the foolishness of such a thing. Who in their right mind would be foolish enough to build a house without a foundation? And the answer is, they wouldn't. 
it would be obvious to the crowd that they wouldn't. So what Jesus is pointing out today is that the difference between the house that stands and the house that falls. It's a difference between a life that stands and in a life that ends in great ruin. And these are the words of the sermon of Jesus to his disciples. He wants in verse 46, he, as he's concluding this sermon, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Just as just a few verses above, Jesus speaks about the radical need for transformation if they're going to be his disciples. He says, a right tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a good tree can only produce good fruit. We need a radical transformation in our lives to live in this way. And he says in conclusion, Jesus is telling here that there are some who claim him Lord, but do not live as if that is actually the case. The word Lord simply means master, one to whom we owe our allegiance, one to which we have submitted and ought to obey to his every will. So some were claiming their utmost allegiance to Jesus as their Lord with their lips, but their lives were another story. Jesus says that there are some who profess with that with their lips, but their lives do not match up with their profession. That there is no allegiance based upon the fruit of their lives. A true profession of faith does not involve our lips alone. Saving faith is not only in our words, but must be embraced in our heart. Saving faith requires repentance, which is turning from our formal life of sin. Here is the key. We are saved by faith alone, and there is nothing that makes right with God. But our faith will never be alone. But our faith will always accompany with some works, some fruit born out in our lives. Jesus wants us to understand that a true believer will bear fruit in his deeds and his words. J.C. Ryle has written, Let it be a fixed principle in our religion that obedience is the only sound evidence of our saving faith, and that the talk of the lips is worse than useless if it is not accomplished by the sanctification of life. The man in whom the Holy Ghost dwells, really dwells, will never be content to sit still and do nothing to show his love to Christ. I'll repeat that. The man in whom the Holy Ghost really dwells, will never be content to sit still and do nothing to show his love to Christ. If the Holy Spirit is at work, you will not still sit still and say, nah, I don't need to grow in holiness. You will not say, I don't need to follow what Christ has commanded me to do. I can do what I want. His grace is sufficient. No. The real evidence of the Spirit work in us will compel us and draw us to say, I'm not satisfied with my continual slipping into sin. I want to grow in the Lord. I want to press into Him. I want to know Him more. So the first thing that we will see is that a person who actually wants to live like this, we see imagery of that person as a house, and that house stands. So in verses 47 and 48, Jesus tells us what this obedient life looks like. 
He's warning the followers. And look at the text. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So he's talking about a progression here if you pay careful attention. Everyone he who is coming to him, he says, and continually hearing me and continually do what I say, to that person the house will stand. So the person who hears Jesus' words and does them is like a man building a house, a house that will stand. He digs and apparently he is digging deep to find the rock because that is where he knows that the foundation must be laid. Think, think about the buildings and the planning and the effort that takes place to build a house. That takes effort, tremendous effort. It is costly. And the wise builder understands that. That you can't just find a nice level piece of ground and build a house on it and think that it will stand. No. He is going to dig until he finds the rock. Jesus tells that when the storm comes and the water breaks against that house, it stood firm because it was well built on the unshakable rock. There is an ongoing action that is taking place. What we see here is that the disciples are coming, they are hearing, and they are doing. And there is a progression that is important if you are going to be a disciple. In some sense, this is about people like us, isn't it? Now think for a moment. It is us who have come this afternoon. And it is us who are hearing this word this afternoon. And in reference to this text, they are builders in this room. So there is a part of discipleship that is about coming. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is coming to Jesus. So if you are not a disciple of Christ and you are not regularly gathering with the saints, you are not coming. And you can't be confident that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a basic fundamental task of a Christian is that he comes, he gathers, and he hears God's word. And to that part, we are quite a few here who have come to hear the words of Christ. And yet again, it is possible there are some who are here today. They have come, but they will not hear what Jesus has to say. For some people, they will come, but they kind of tune out. They may be considering themselves as disciples, but they are not good at hearing. And even if they hear, they want to do as little as possible. It is like when they are in these airplanes, with, when the airline attendant when he or she is describing all the safety features of the, of the plane, you kind of zone out. I've been there, done that, heard that. And are you the kind of person, when you hear the truths preached from this pulpit, you hear them and then zone out after a while? Hearing is a discipline, my friend. We are inundated every day with messages. People wanting to hear their stories, their messages, and understand them. We are distracted people, and we have, all, we have got all kinds of voices speaking at any given time. And our attention span has become so small that we need to grow in this discipline of hearing God's word. So pray that you will have the ears to hear. 
Ask God for an attentive mind. This is part of building the house well. Now think of the context here. This was probably Jesus speaking in an open field or from some higher ground or sometimes he preached from a boat. So probably the people didn't have the most comfortable places to hear Jesus and yet Jesus had this stern warning for the people who have come and who are hearing but they are not doing. Not like the comforts that we have today with the sound desk and the microphones and the climate control room. And if they needed that warning, how much more do we need? And the crux of the issue is not that they were saying, Lord, Lord, that is not the ultimate issue with them. It wasn't that they were coming or that they were hearing. The issue is that they were not doing. Some of them were not doing. Real disciples do all those other things. They call him Lord, they come, they hear, but they also do the important thing, the fundamental thing, they obey. They apply his words. They, are, they all throughout their life bring their lives into conformity with Jesus. Doing is absolutely critical because it reveals who we are and what we are. That is what decides if you are a disciple or not. It is the doing. Every time we truly hear the word, we must act upon it. We are going to work and think about how this knowledge in God's word is going to change me today so that I am in one spirit more in line with Jesus. A Christian will never be a person who will come to the word of God. He hears the word of God and reads the word of God and then he walks away without it doing anything to his life. The revelation of God's word is sufficient to call upon a person to action. Either it is for good or for condemnation, that is another case. Not feelings, not experience, but the powerful word of God that has been revealed to us in the scriptures. Now friends, is this progression evident in your lives? Can you say that, yeah, I see that I'm coming. Yes, I see that I'm hearing. And yes, I see that I'm doing. Obviously, not perfectly, but I'm striving to obey. Do the word of God. Then praise God for that. Because we have some of us here today that hear but they never see that there is something that they need to do now. So dear Grace Church, it would serve us well to consider this warning this afternoon and evaluate our lives whether we are coming, hearing and doing God's word or not. And if you are the man or the woman who is in your heart thinking right now, Amen, Pastor, preach it. My husband needs to hear it. Or, or my wife needs to hear it. Or you think, I wish that brother or sister was here today to hear this word. I would say, pause for a moment and rejoice if you are obeying God's word and check if there is any self-righteousness that has crept into your own heart before thinking of the other person. Because you are able to build your house in this way Again, it's because of the sheer grace of God, by not your own doing, but by His grace. 
And secondly, we see another picture, a house that falls. This is the op opposite picture that Jesus gives here in verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who, will, who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus is warning that the person who hears his, this word but does not do them is like a man who builds the house without a foundation. Rather than digging through the sand and the clay to reach the rock, he just starts building. He did not count the cost. He might have looked at the weather forecast and thought to himself, there is no storm coming in the next week. And he built without a foundation. Of course, friends, the storms will come. Eventually, maybe not in the first week, maybe not in the month or a year, or a decade in, but they will come. And when the storms come and they break against this house, it says it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Now this is very pointed warning to us this afternoon. The scriptures are clear that judgment awaits everyone who is outside of saving faith, outside of the grace of Christ. But this particular illustration is about a man who hears the words of Jesus and does not put them into practice. Who is that hears the word of Jesus today? It is those who go to church. It is those who are here now. Who is it that hears the word of Jesus? Who are raised in Christian families? Who attended Bible studies? Who have had the Bible taught to them? They have heard the words of Jesus, but hearing the word is not enough. We must believe the word, we must trust the word, and we must obey his word. Bible is clear. We are not saved by our obedience, but a saving faith will bear fruit of obedience to Jesus. So if you hear without trusting and obeying, then we are believing in an external religion that will not hold form when the storm of life comes against us. If we hear without trusting and obeying, that is the evidence that the gospel has not penetrated our hearts, that we haven't experienced the Spirit's new birth, that we are still dead in our sins. So we might say on the last day, Lord, Lord, don't you remember me? Don't you remember me going to church, being raised in a Christian family? Don't you remember me serving on the sound desk, in the kids' ministry, at the welcome desk? Don't you remember, remember me giving rides to all the folks who needed a ride to come to Rack? I was available all the time. And he will say to us, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Storms are coming. If you are not already in a storm right now, you can be assured that the storm will come. God tests us to reveal if there is any substance to our faith. Tests like broken relationships, loss of a job, a major life decision that needs to be made, a major move, a physical injury, sickness, depression, and death. Waters are going to rise. They are going to beat against the house that we have built in this life. 
And how we respond indicates whether we have a foundation under us or not. So when things come apart, is knowing Jesus or trusting and obeying in him enough for us? Or the waters will wash away the external signs of religiosity and reveal that we have been trusting ourselves the whole time. Friends, so much of the words of the New Testament are warnings to us. The book of Hebrews is warning us over and over. First John is warning us to make sure that we are in faith. First Corinthians, Paul says, test yourselves to see if you are in faith. Week after week, we have been reminded how not to think culturally, according to the wisdom of this world, but to walk in the spirit and in obedience to Christ. Over and over again, there are warnings in the New Testament. You cannot go through a book in the Bible and be warned to look at your life and to see if you are genuine. Let me tell you, one of the practical things that we need to be reminded in churches is this, that we can be self-deceived. That we can believe that he is Lord and call him Lord and claim allegiance to him, but be blind of the fact that we don't really know him. I think we have a gracious God because he has given his inspired word to speak to us even today to stop and examine our lives. True disciple obeys Christ. His life is devoted to eternal values rather than worldliness. His life is devoted to eternal values rather than worldliness. So tell me, my brother and sister, how much time do you spend how much time do you spend on Facebook? WhatsApp, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Google and YouTube. The life of a true Christian involves a life of Christ. He loves and does good to those who hate him. When was the last time you cared to spend an hour or a couple of hours in a week with another fellow brother or sister in Christ? And when was the last time you carefully listened to them, shared how you are doing and prayed for one another? Or is it that the majority of your week is just spent with people at your work and all that you relate to them is business-like? The life of a disciple is that he blesses those who curse him and blesses those who mistreat him. It is doing to others that you have them do to you. It is seeking first the kingdom of God. It is a life that deals with the log of sin on, in our own eye before you deal with the sin to, to, in the lives of others. And all that I'm highlighting right now is what Jesus has preached in Luke chapter 6. So a true Christian deals with the log of sin in his own eye before he deals with the sin in the lives of others. So husbands, how many times have you this past week were eager to correct your wife 
before dealing with the log in your own eyes. Husbands, how many times have you loved yourself so much that you abdicated your responsibility and you strive to avoid conflict? Wives, how many times this past week were you tempted to disrespect your husband because your husband failed to treat you in a certain way? A true Christian forgives. It is someone to whom God's kingdom is central in structuring their lives. For a true Christian, God's kingdom is central in structuring their lives. So tell me, friend, if you don't have any relationship with a fellow member in this congregation for the rest of the week, how can you fit into the heavenly kingdom where the same people will be there too? Discipleship is costly, my friend. These are the some of the basic building blocks of a house that is built well. Obedience requires effort. Striving for the finish line is a lifelong task for a believer. This is a message of warning to us. And yet, there is hope in this word as well. Because every warning in God's word is an opportunity for us to repent. Remember Jonah? God instructed this reluctant prophet to go to the city of Nineveh to preach against it. And the message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be struck down. There was no word of, if you repent, then God will forgive you. It was just a message of destruction and judgment. And yet Jonah didn't want to go and deliver the message. Do you remember why? Because he knew God's character and he knew if he goes and proclaims the message of judgment and the people will repent, which they did, then God will forgive them because of his character. And Jonah did not want his enemies access to God's grace because he knew God is a merciful God. But Jesus, he wants us and he wants us to have an every opportunity to hear about God's grace so that we might repent and turn. For some of us, we may not think about saving faith, but in actuality, we have built our lives upon a sand. And this afternoon, we have an opportunity to hear this warning and return and to repent and turn to Christ even for the first time. So Jesus presents us with a tale of two lives. In Christ and out of Christ. The Lordship of Christ or slave to sin. A house that stands or a house that falls. And what strikes me in this passage is that he doesn't give 100 different options of what our life is going to look like. There are obedient people. There are pseudo-obedient people. On the fringes Christians. Not so involved Christians. Sometimes obedient, sometimes disobedient people, and then the really, really bad people. No. Two options. We, we like to live in a world of all different shades of gray, but Jesus gives two. There is Jesus or no Jesus. There is a life built on the rock or the life built on the sand. There is a good fruit or a bad fruit. There is a firm foundation or sand. There is life or death. Which of the two do you choose? 
And the necessary follow-up question to that is, is there evidence that you have chosen Jesus? What is the fruit of your life? And finally, in conclusion, we'll look at this third point. There is a true foundation. The teacher and the foundation on whom we must build our life, on, one has to be the one who is pure and perfect from the inside out. When it comes to the foundation of God's people, the one whose disciple we must become, the one to whom we must cast our gaze on, we need, we need an impeccable, perfect teacher who shows us how to live a perfect life. So who is the one we should listen to? And I mean listen to, I mean more than pay lip service to. Jesus was dealing that too. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do, do not do what I tell you? I'm not looking for people who say, yeah, Jesus, you're my teacher. He's my master. He's my king. But what matters is whether you are following him or not. Jesus' words are the bedrock, a solid place to make a foundation for your life. If you build your foundation on the wisdom and the heart of God revealed in these words, your house will stand. Building your life on any other kind of wisdom, following a teacher leads you to a pit. Building your life on anyone else's wisdom leads to your house, your life being wiped out in the judgment to come. You see what is at stake? Eternity. Eternity is at balance with what you do with Jesus' words. Do you realize what kind of claim that is? Imagine, if you're going to hear me say this afternoon, listen, you're going to heaven or hell because on what I say. I'm going to make the rules and I'm going to tell you what to do. And if you obey them, I will make sure you will get to heaven. You'll be thinking, are you kidding me? Are you really sure that you will make sure, you, Samson, will make sure that I will be in heaven? But who does that? It is Jesus who does that. Jesus is calling us to follow an impeccable teacher. He is saying, look at me, follow me. All of eternity depends on what you do with me. How can we know that is a safe bet? How can we know that believing in Jesus will make sure that our house will stand? You want to know? Because Jesus goes first. He is the one who builds his life on this wisdom. He is the one who actually does it. He is the one who calls us to love enemies. And he is the one who dies for his enemies. He is the one who says the heart of God overflows into your life and his heart overflows unto his death for others. When the storms of rejection of man and the judgment of God beat against Jesus on the cross and the darkness came, it looked like the house was crumbling. But on the third day, when the sun rose, he rose. His house stood firm. The Lord raised him up and proclaimed, this is acceptable and pleasing. This is the righteousness that I accept. 
and I demand. Jesus is the one who did it. Only the performance of this righteousness delivers through the storm. Do you have the perfection of this righteousness? It is the promise of the gospel. His performance stands in our place. He took your curse so that you can have his blessing. All the impossible teaching that you must perform, but you could never perform, and even you have blown today, Jesus performed it for you. It is done and credited to your account by faith. Why? Because the perfect son of the Most High reflects the heart of the Father, not just in his righteousness, but in mercy to those who can never repay. So what does that even mean? Then now I am his by grace. And that means I don't have to perform or obey anymore. Is that what it is? Or maybe not. The words are still clear when Jesus says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? In fact, if there is anything, there is a greater expectation now that we have been the enemy who have received love. We have been the one who are once cursed and now blessed. We, we were the one who were slapping in the cheek and receiving the other as well. We are the ones who are given something that we can never repay. So how are we to respond to that? By following the one who did it for us. Now we follow in the step of our impeccable teacher in joyful, happy, loving obedience, no matter what the cost. In other words, we continue, we must continue beholding the true heart of God in the life of Jesus so that we can continue becoming more like him. To bring this creation to all his creation. For the house that is standing needs a foundation. What is the foundation that Jesus gives to us? Jesus gives Jesus. And now we look to him. We follow him and obey him and become like him. And his teaching is life and his death is resurrection. Jesus alone establishes himself as salvation and standard and pattern for his followers. In life, in judgment, and in eternal life, he is our rock, he is our hope, and he is our foundation. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we rejoice in the fact that you are our Lord and you died for our sins, paid the price that we rightly would have needed to be paid and you have ransomed us and you have now by reconciled us by the power of your spirit. Thank you Lord for what Jesus has done for us and we pray that Lord that even now as we are hearing these words of warning, help us Father to build our lives on the firm foundation, on the word of God, on Jesus' words and his teaching, so that we would be found faithful, so that our house will be crashed by the, by, by the uh, storms. Help us, Father, 
to, to build our faith by looking to Christ. And may we glorify you to our lives. Grant us mercy, Lord, to those who are unwilling to repent today. We pray that, Lord, that you would soften our hearts and help us to hear your word and live according to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.